Welcome to The Buff for any long-awaited ISO pod. Normally, I jump right into it, but today is no normal day. Today is Thursday, January 7th, and a day after a large group of idiots stormed, and for lack of a better term, invaded the Capitol in Washington, D.C., largely egged on and instigated by the POTUS, McDonald Trump himself. It was a low point for our democracy, one that we as a country should be embarrassed about. If this happened in any other country, which it often does, we would stand there ridiculing and belittling those other nations for their lack of democracy, right? And their anarchistic society and government. We as a nation have always been snooty. Let's be honest. America, right? We've been snooty. Oh, we've been above reproach. And honestly, a little too goddamn proud that we're quote unquote better than everyone else. If yesterday's events proved anything, it's that we ain't. We is mucking through the same trough of divisiveness and ignorance as anybody damn else. I won't say anything else about that because I'm sure we'll cover that in great detail on our next episode with the rest of my co-hosts. My goal on this episode is to get your minds off of all that political unrest. And how exactly will I do that? By talking hoops, of course. It's been a minute since we served up an isopod here at the Buffer No. I mean, it's been like three months. I think the last time we recorded an isopod was right after the NBA Finals had finished. After LeBron won his fourth Finals MVP, fourth ring, all that good stuff. So, you know, consider this isopod a delightful surprise, right? Kind of like that free slice of pie that your waitress suddenly brings out to you. Your belly's full. You didn't really need it. You didn't even really want it. And you're about to slip into a mid-afternoon food coma. But hey... What the hell? It's pie, man. Why the hell not? So thanks for downloading the episode and chowing down on a guilty empty calorie treat with me. On the regular pod with my other co-host, we dig deep into the subtle nuances of chicken sandwiches, right? The elegant woodworking and craftsmanship of the red table and the veracity of Boosie Badass's legitimacy. However, when you hear the familiar timbre of my voice and just my voice alone... That signals one thing and one thing only, another isopod and hoops, baby, all hoops. It's been over two weeks since the season started, and well, I got thoughts. I scribbled down notes, got some observations from the first few weeks of the season. So what do we know after the first few weeks of the NBA season? How do we really feel about what's happened so far in the NBA? It doesn't matter how you feel. That's right, The Rock. Damn, rude interruption, man. It doesn't matter. What do we really know? It's been such a wonky start to the season, I'm not sure. The line between fact and fiction, I don't think has ever been more blurry at this point of the season than it does this season. Usually we have some things we can take as definitive points. Facts about certain teams being good, certain players being great. But this early season start has jumbled a lot of that, right? And I'm not here to make any definitive statements yet, but there are some early observations, trends that, you know, they're kind of worth monitoring. I could start anywhere. And the AT alien in me wants to start with the confusingly tantalizing Atlanta Hawks, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start with the MVP chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I did say no definitive statements, and I'm not going to make that. But there are some players 
that are early season surprises as frontrunners for the MVP award. Now take this for what you will, but this is what the Vegas betting favorites were to win the MVP. Preseason. Luka Doncic plus 400. He was a favorite. Giannis plus 500. After that, LeBron, AD, Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, James Harden. Luka, and, and by his own admission, he's shown up out of shape. He has been one of the worst volume three-point shooters this season. Recently, he righted the ship a little bit. He's going to play himself into shape. He's trending upwards. He's going to be all right. Now, I'm not worried about him too much in the general conversation. As far as the MVP, I don't know. I don't have him as a favorite. I don't think he's going to finish in the top two or three, but he might. He arguably could have last year. Giannis has looked good as usual. Not as great as always. The Bucks have struggled a little bit early. They've gotten better recently the last few games. But I just don't see voters giving him a third straight MVP. I just don't see it. MJ never got that. LeBron never got that. Only three players ever have gotten three straight MVPs. The great Wilt Chamberlain. Obviously, I think you could blindfold people, take all their senses away, and they would guess Wilt Chamberlain. Bill Russell, the legendary champion himself, right? Mr. Championship. And Larry Legend, Larry Bird. That's the only players that have three-peated. So I don't think Giannis is going to get that just for the sake of voter fatigue. And last year, he had an all-time year statistically, and their team was atop the Eastern Conference with an all-time year. Point differential, record, everything was just top-notch. He'd have to probably do better than that. And how can you do better than what they did in the regular season last year and what he did? I don't see it. Getting a third straight MVP trophy, I don't think it's happening. But obviously, by the end of the season, his numbers are going to be there. The team's going to be much better than they are now. So he will be in that top two, three discussion voting, I think. My early front runner, though, and it's not a surprise to anybody who loosely follows the NBA, but I'm going to put Nikola Jokic on the top of my early MVP list. Right, The Nuggets, they've struggled a little bit here. They're three and four. But Jokic is averaging 24, 12, and 12. He's leading the league in assists. He's a seven-footer averaging a triple-double. And normally I would say, well, it's only been, you know, seven, eight, nine games. But we all know Jokic is more than capable of averaging double-digit assists. We know that. So if you're telling me that the Nuggets are as good as they have been the last few years when they've been in the upper echelon of the West, and Nikola Jokic, a seven-footer, is going to average a triple-double, I think it's hard not to give that man the MVP. It would be super hard. So he's my early season favorite. I don't think his numbers are super sustainable the way they are, but I could see him averaging a triple-double. He's averaging the most or second most touches in the league. Everything flows through him. And I think the Nuggets have embraced that even more this year than they usually do. A couple of, you know, dark horse. Well, I don't even want to say dark horse because these are known entities. KD. The Slim Reaper Durant. I don't know if you listeners remember, but he gave himself the nickname The Servant because he didn't like the Slim Reaper, which is a dope-ass nickname. KD, man, if you're going to give yourself your own nickname, brand yourself, be better, man. The Servant, come on, dog. (laughs) I'm glad that did not catch on. He does look back, though. I'll give him this. After his Achilles injury nearly 18 months ago, he looks back. He looks like KD. He's averaging 28-7-5. Now, the next four games, he's going to miss because he came in contact with somebody that had COVID, even though he has the antibodies because he had COVID in May. 
but contact tracing, NBA is being careful. So he's going to miss a few games here. But if those Nets, who have looked at times unstoppable on offense with KD and Kyrie in the lineup, if they can inch their way up to the top half of the East, I could see KD taking home second MVP trophy. You know, it's been a layoff, but I just think sometimes we, me, I don't know if I'm speaking for the collective we or whoever, but we forget how good KD is, man. Not not good. How great, right? How like all time great he is. Last week, they played the Hawks in back-to-back games. KD just mid-range after mid-range jumper, no matter who was on him, whether it was John Collins, Cam Reddish, did not matter. And it just reminded me of like how helpless you feel when KD's going against your team with those mid-range jumpers. It's almost that helpless feeling like when Curry, Steph Curry was in his prime and he was making those 30-footers. It was You just throw your hands up, right? And you're like, what, the, what are we going to do, right? That's how KD is when he's making those mid-range jumpers. You're just unstoppable. You can't block a seven-footer shot, right? I just think that gets overlooked sometimes. That KD is arguably top three shooter in the league people think oh three-pointer Steph Curry right but KD he is almost nearly as efficient overall from the floor as a Steph Curry is so he is a great shooter but I think that gets overlooked because people just say he's a great scorer they don't realize how great of a shooter he is so KD dark horse LeBron James I can't believe we're overlooking him again and maybe people aren't obviously Vegas had him third or fourth in their favorites but I think all of us expected LeBron to take a little backseat this year to chill man chill pill right two months after winning the title we assumed he would take some time off rest leading the lakers in minutes points rebounds assist he's averaging 24 8 and 7 a little bit odd seeing him dialed in so early because usually lebron takes a little while to kind of play himself into giving a shit Um, i mean just the other day against the grizzlies the lowly grizzlies for a means nothing game lebron took over in the fourth just hitting these fadeaways like he's dirk nowitzki like crazy taking over and bringing you know bringing home the W against the Nuggets, so it's a little bit a little bit weird seeing him play this hard this early. And if he was to win an MVP in his 18th year, that would be ridiculous. I don't think it's going to happen because his raw stats won't be there. But you know there has been arguments made in the last few years that LeBron should have won the MVP, especially after how he finished a couple of those seasons. So maybe this will be like a a makeup vote. You know, if nobody clearly puts themselves out there at the top of the list, maybe, you know, I could see LeBron getting a few MVP votes, MVP votes, maybe possibly even winning. Now that we got that out of the way, that whole MVP discussion, which, yeah, way too early, I know. Let's do a little little fun segment here, okay? I'm going to do this segment. It's called Means Something Means Nothing. Pretty simple, self-explanatory. I present you listeners a scenario, and then I'm going to decide whether it means something or it means nothing. Simple as that. Paul George, PG-13, a.k.a. Playoff P, better known as after last year's playoff debacle, way off P, is getting buckets early and often, averaging 25, 6, and 5, but that ain't the juicy nibble that tells the whole story, right? He's shooting nearly 50% from three, 50% from the floor overall, and over 90% from the line. That, for you kiddos, is a 50-50-90 line. The holy grail of shooting is the 50-40-90 line. This is the line that, you know, Steve Nash, Steph Curry, they live in that area code, right? Not many other players 
can get there. And I'm not saying that, you know, Paul George is going to maintain that. But, you know, three-point shooting comes down a little bit. He could potentially maintain 40%. I could see that. The 50% from the field may be tough, but hey, just the fact that he's even doing it for a few weeks of 50-50-90 line, that's crazy. He's on a mission early this season. I think he's trying to kind of come out of that playoff fog of last year's debacle, demise against the Nuggets, that whole gack job, choke job. So it doesn't really matter probably into the playoffs because, you know, no, nothing any Clippers does in the regular season will matter because everybody's going to be judging their playoffs. But, hey, man, at least one of their stars, right, he's come out ready to play. So does that mean something? Does it mean nothing, this hot start by PG? I think it means something. I think it's real. Paul George is more comfortable in his second year with the Clippers. Let us not forget. Let us not forget the last time Paul George was truly healthy was his final year in OKC. And he was a front runner for the MVP late in the year. He really, really was, right? There was all these jokes that Paul George, he made that Gatorade commercial where he was making buzzer beaters. He kind of nicknamed himself Playoff P. He had never really made shots in the clutch, really, based on that persona. And then that year in the Thunder, he made a bunch of late shots, right? He kind of changed the whole narrative again. Hurt his shoulder late in the season, went into the playoffs, struggled, and then, you know, it hasn't really reached that same height until it looks like maybe now. You know, I don't know. We'll see. But I think it's real. I think he can maintain it. The Sixers sitting atop the Eastern Conference, 7-1 and one record. Means something? Doesn't mean nothing? Um, I, I don't know. Will it translate to playoff success? I don't know. To be determined. Um, well, I'm tempted to say... It means something, right, with the arrival of Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, and the excellent play by Joel Embiid. I'm going to say it means nothing. Their seven wins are against the Knicks, Wizards twice, Raptors, Magic, and the Hornets twice, right? All teams that ain't exactly the 2016 Warriors. While I do think the Sixers are improved, to me, this early hot start means nothing. But I will say... Beating teams you're better than is always a promising sign for a team that had a disappointing season last year. You should beat the scrub-ass teams. That is your job. And the really good teams do that all the time. And they are doing that right now. So much credit to them. Phoenix Suns sitting atop the Western Conference with a 6-2 and record. I think it means something. I think everyone expected the Suns to be improved, especially after they went 8-0 and in the bubble last year. I think we all thought, okay, they're ready to take the next step. When they got CP3 in a trade in the offseason, I think we all kind of opened our eyes and said, yo, not only should they get in the playoffs, they might be able to, you know, sixth seed, fifth seed, who knows, right? And they're sitting atop the West right now. And they've had some quality wins. They're not like the Sixers, who I just kind of trashed on a little bit about their wins. Four of the wins have been against the Mavs, Pelicans, Jazz, and the Nuggets. Right, these are all possible playoff teams. So I think the Suns are real. They look legit. It means something to me. How about the Warriors? They bounced back from a disastrous start to the season. So I mentioned this on the regular pod, but they started out 0-2, got demolished the first two games, and then they almost lost to the Bulls. What Were it not for Damian Lee game-winning three towards the end of the fourth quarter. But they've ridden Curry's hot hand to a 4-3 record. Actually, they just lost yesterday, so they're 4-4 four four now. This is a tough one for me to decide on. 
because I've been openly doubt doubting the validity of the Warriors' playoff chances this year. I did feel that they may compete for a playing spot. I did. But I was on the fence about that. So I'm going to give them the slightest edge of saying that it means something. Not in terms of being a serious contender in the West, but at least a serious contender for the playing seeds. I still think they will struggle against the better teams in the West, sometimes catastrophically so. But with Steph's recent resurgence over the past few games and Draymond's return to the lineup, and honestly, the rookie Wiseman's performance, they should you know, have enough to compete with the you know, lower dredges of the West. Just on a side note from a fan perspective, I was just happy to see Steph go nuclear the other day and get 62 points. You know, it reminded me of pre-KD Steph. You know, 2015, 2016 MVP Steph when he just went berserk on the league and he was just pulling up from 30 feet anytime he wanted to, hitting these astronomically difficult hand-in-the-face triples. And then, you know, he'd make a little shimmy, do a little shimmy running back up the court, you know. I miss that Steph, man. I really miss that Steph. And I don't know that he's officially back because it is so hard to maintain that level of play when you don't have all-stars lined up around you like he had Clay and Draymond back then in their prime and, you know, Iguodala. But, man, if he can keep this up a little bit, oh, yeah, I can definitely see them competing for one of the lower seeds for sure. But if this was a flash in the pan and they kind of come back to earth, then, yeah, it's going to be tough sledding. The West is tough this year. Especially, I'll go over the playoff standings in a little bit, but there are some surprise teams that look like they will be in the playoffs potentially that weren't last year. And that was that's going to make everything a little more difficult. So let's just get to it, man. I've been putting this off as long as I can. But I'm assuming that most of you listeners live in the state of Georgia, metro Atlanta area. Let's talk about the hometown Atlanta Hawks. The ice tray led Atlanta Hawks. They started out blitzing everybody in the offensive end, right? They sprinted out to a four and one start. And they took it to the Nets in back-to-back games. First game against the Nets, they lost 145-141. to 141. It was early contender for best game of the year. Then they played the Nets again two days later, and they won. And it really wasn't even that close, right? The Hawks kind of kept them at an arm's distance the whole game. And KD and Kyrie both in the lineup. So, hey, man, I got hype. I think my expectations went through the roof for whatever reason. I didn't expect them to win the title this year or nothing but i was like hey man that whole uh playing seed expectation they might you know they might be able to get a sixth or fifth seed who knows the way they're playing because that offense looked unstoppable but being that this is a team that resides in the unforgivingly disappointing sports mecca known as the state of georgia they've been humbled and gut punched back to reality by the cleveland cavaliers the new york knickerbockers and the charlotte yeah the Charlotte Hornets. While both the Cavs, Knicks, you know, they seem surprisingly improved this year. I mean, it's gut-wrenching for us to watch a Hawks blow second-half double-digit leads in both games. Does that sound familiar, Atlanta fans? But but let's allow cooler heads to prevail because this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you off the ledge and give you hope. It's super early, and we all probably just got a teensy-wincy bit too aroused, just a bit a tad early after seeing the lip quivering underpants of these Hawks after the first two weeks of the season. They've settled back down to earth a bit and look like what most of us optimistic Hawks fans thought prior to the season, that the Hawks should compete for a play-in seed and probably not more than that. Minor asterisks, 
is that these Hawks, bunch of injuries, Rondo, Danilo Gallinari, Chris Dunn, spectacular defensive perimeter player, barely played or not at all. Their top pick on Yeku Okongwu, who people are saying could be the next 3 and D Draymond acolyte kind of player, he hasn't even played yet. So overall, I'm impressed. We're probably not even going to see a regular rotation on this team for for months, maybe at least a month or so before people get healthy. But at least the Hawks have been relatively competitive in almost every single game. And at times, not recently, but at times, their offense looked unstoppable. I think the offense should be a top five offense by the end of the year. Uh, but we'll see, right? Because they started out looking like a top offense the first week. And this last week, they have not looked good, right? Subpar, to say the least. Not making any threes, which is my fear of this team. You kind of might make yourselves a Golden State Warriors, Houston Rockets light team. And you can't make your jumpers and your threes, you lose. And I hope that's not what the Hawks are trending to becoming because there was hopes in the early week of the season. They were cutting, they were moving the ball, they were getting open shots for players. I hope they don't just become stagnant and just take three after three after three. Especially when they're down, it seems like that's what they do. They just rely on the triple to get back in the game. And I just don't think that's sustainable. So let's talk about Trey Young, man. Before yesterday... Man, I have so much positive things to say about him. It doesn't sound that great today because yesterday he had one of his worst games last night against the Charlotte Hornets. I think he had seven points. He might have had, I think, seven turnovers at the half. He was not good. Looked hesitant. Didn't even take that many shots. But let's take that game out. Everybody has a bad game. He was averaging about 12 free throw attempts per game. I think that went down a little bit more after yesterday. And, you know, there's no way a player that diminutive... That slight of frame is going to keep this up. So I can see that number, you know, kind of settle down around seven or eight attempts of a game. But still, it's a testament to how great of a player he's been, right? Especially getting to the line like that. Although I got to say, you know, he's approaching Harden, James Harden level of mind referee mind fuckery with the way he draws these fouls. I'm not worried about Trey, though. He's going to get his numbers. We all know that. One small improvement I've noticed, though, he is giving up the ball earlier, letting the offense, the rest of his teammates set up the offense and try to get their own shot. He still ain't doing a goddamn thing off the ball. That is the one thing that separates him from Steph Curry. Well, there are many, but that is the one main thing that Steph never stops moving. Never. Trey just gives it up and kind of wanders around on the perimeter and chills out. Not as bad as James Harden, but, you know, on that level. But at least he's trusting his teammates. And I think he's had a difficult time trying to figure out when to shoot, when to do the hero ball takeover mode versus getting his teammates involved. And that's led to some hesitancy. You can see like yesterday in the fourth quarter, he didn't take a ton of shots. He just seemed hesitant. And we're not used to seeing Trey give up open looks. Uncovered 30 footers like pass for a quote unquote better shot. He needs to take those to expand the gravity on the floor. I think he'll be all right. And I think this whole dilemma he's having about finding a balance is good he needs to temper himself a little bit and control and find that balance of getting teammates involved and looking for a shot every great player has to go through this Luca has had to go through this he is still going through this you know LeBron has always kind of had the balance because he's always been a pass first guy in his heart so Trey will figure it out but when he ain't on the Hawks look bad so they look they did not look good yesterday and Trey had a terrible game. Cam Reddish. 
I don't know, man. It's hard to what to make of them, honestly. I might have to take a big gulp here. Uh, you might call this a leap, but uh, Reddish reminds me just a bit of Andrew Wiggins. And that is not a good thing. Andrew Wiggins once dubbed Maple Jordan because the unreal athlete he was and the potential he had coming out of Canada. He still has tantalizing talent and potential that still, even in the seventh season, seems unfulfilled. Some games, if you watch Andrew Wiggins, he looks like an all-star, right? He's on the Warriors this year. And others, man, he just aimlessly floats around the perimeter, just like imperceptible. Cam Reddish, he's got a little Wiggins to his game. They're just enough flashes of brilliance, right? Because he's an athletic guy, he's a tall player, that justifies some of that hype and hope. Only to be disappointed by a subpar outing the next game. I mean, he just doesn't make that much of an impact on the offensive end. He doesn't have any purpose. He just aimlessly drives... He is not good in the paint. He's not a great shooter. He's got a long ways to go on the offensive end. I wish he was just more of a slasher, you know? His defense, though, I'll give him credit. His defense, if he continues to stay committed on that front, he could have a, the Hawks could have a little formidable perimeter defensive trio there with DeAndre Hunter, Chris Dunn, and Cam Reddish. Stay tuned on that. Another big early season surprise, DeAndre Hunter. Coming out of college, he was a 3 and D guy, and I, don't, I think the ceiling on him was limited, and people just thought, hey, if he's a good 3 and D player, thumbs up, you did good. But this year, he arguably, man, he's been the second best and most consistent player in the Hawks next to Trey Young. Like, he is more than a 3 and D guy so far this year. He's taking the ball off the dribble, going inside. He's passing better than he did before. I am very, very impressed with DeAndre Hunter. Uh, we'll see if he can keep this up, but... He's been impressive so far. Very aggressive, right? Very, very confident on the offensive end, more than I thought he would be. I thought it would take him years to get that. So hopefully he keeps that up. Kevin Herter, Red Mamba, I don't even know his nickname, but um, great start to the season. He's been coming off the bench. He's been awesome off the bench. He's been shooting three-point. I think he's over 45% or something on threes. Can handle. Mid-range, he's great. He's tall enough to shoot over opponents. I like Kevin Herter a lot. I've always liked him, but I've been critical of him, as a lot of Hawks fans are. I do like him on the second unit, but I don't know. Sometimes the way Cam's playing Reddish, maybe sometimes Herter, I feel like he might need to start. Although on the defensive end, he's a little bit of a liability still. But I can't ignore Kevin Herter. John Collins, Clint Capella, haven't even mentioned them. Collins has been good. He's still doing good from three, which doesn't seem like it was an anomaly from last year. He shot 40% from three last year. Capella's looked awesome, man. I mean, he's gobbling up every rebound, playing pretty good defense at the rim, and he's doing what he did best in Houston, getting those lobs. So Capella was a great signing. I love it so far. So early Hawks start, it means something. They're 4-4 four and four now. They've come back to earth a lot, and their schedule is not getting easy. They play Charlotte again. But then they go into a tough schedule. I think they got the Sixers. They have Utah, a few other teams next week. So we are going to see within the next few weeks how serious the Hawks are and what record they come out. If they can stay at 500 or get above 500 after that whole row and stretch of games, all right, and their offense has to look good, then, you know, we will see. So I am crossing my fingers, cautiously optimistic about the Hawks, even though the last two games have given me no reason to be optimistic. And I just feel like my uh, hope, my patience was not rewarded with the way they've been the last three games. But 
they have enough talent on that team, arguably more talent than the teams they've lost to recently, to come out of this. So that's all I got. Early season, way too early to make proclamations, but it's been interesting. It's been wacky. It's been wonky. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another Isopod. We'll be back with the regular pod next week where we'll touch on a bunch of other stuff, and I'm sure we'll talk about this whole democracy capital bullshit that we just saw yesterday. Thanks again for listening, everybody.